Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So the feast of St. James, the brother of, of Jesus, and, and, a, and a, a, a martyr for the faith is our theme today, what we focus on today. And I said at the beginning of the uh, service, why do we give honor to the saints? Thanksgiving to God for their example, to strengthen our faith, and we pray that God would help us see them as a good example that we, that we might imitate the faith that they lived out. And this is easy to do with certain saints because we know them so well, right? We know people like uh, St. Paul, St. Peter, St. Luke, Matthew, you know, Mark. Well, Mark's not so well known, but we can still point to Mark and say, at least he wrote a gospel, right? Who is St. James of Jerusalem? Uh, if, if you're kind of confused as to which James we're talking about, don't feel bad because there's several Jameses in the New Testament, right? There's uh, two specific disciples, uh, James, uh, James the Greater, or James the Great, uh, he is the brother of John, son of, son of Zebedee, right? Then there's James, the son of Alphaeus, but you don't hear a whole lot about him. But then there's James of Jerusalem. Lots of Jameses here, so I'll just try and pare it down and focus on this one James. We see that there's some question about who this James really is in relation to our Lord. We see that the people uh, in Nazareth hear Jesus, and instead of receiving it well and saying, Amen, thanks be to God, they say, wait, 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 wait. Isn't that the guy that we know when he was a little kid, and, you know, he just kind of was small and people picked on him or something? It's like, we, we, we know that kid. We know his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas, and we know his sisters. We know his mom. That guy's the Messiah, right? You get these people who are asking this question. And before we move on, it just kind of goes to show that Jesus, if you were to go back in time and see Jesus face to face when he was on earth, you probably wouldn't think too much about him. He probably would have just been some regular guy. And you probably would have been tempted on some level to just say, that guy? That guy's the Messiah? There's nothing special about him. I don't see anything special about him, right? That's exactly what these people are doing. And in essence, we get the sense that that's what James did, right? And we have to ask some questions. What is his relation to our Lord? And we get into all this fun stuff about whether or not Mary was perpetually a, was, was perpetually a, excuse me, whether Mary uh, remained a, a virgin for the rest of her life, whether she actually had children with Joseph and things like that, because it gets a little hairy, and, and, and this is not what this sermon is about, but it's very interesting. I Personally, and, and people can disagree with me on this, it's not the point of this sermon, I do believe that James and Joseph and Simon and Judas really were the flesh and blood brothers of Jesus, not just half-brothers, not just cousins, uh, not just a relative of some kind. I, I think that it makes a really, a much better confession about what 
what marriage is if Mary and Joseph consummate that uh, union and actually have the blessing of children. I'll leave that alone for now. If you want to talk to me about that more later, that's fine. But yeah, I don't believe that Mary is perpetually a virgin for her entire life. I think that she has that title because of the honor that she was given and blessed with to be the mother of Christ. Yeah, And for, for the rest of her life, even when she had kids, they'd say, oh yeah, that was the virgin that gave birth. Something to think about. Regardless, James is there. And James hears these people saying all these things. And he hears them say, is not he just regular old Jesus? Isn't he just a regular old Joe Schmo that we've known since he was a baby? What's so special about him? So we know that James, at one point in time, joins the crowds and believes at some, on some level that Jesus is just his brother. Not really anything more than that. He's probably a good teacher, but not much more than that. So then we know, just to fill in some gaps of history here, what happens with James and why he becomes known as James of Jerusalem. He becomes James of Jerusalem because at one point in time, uh, James, the son of Zebedee, is martyred by Herod, and Peter gets, uh, he has to leave Jerusalem. Peter was known as the bishop of the church there in Jerusalem, but he has to go now, right? He's been arrested, he's been in trouble with the authorities, he has to go away. He has to basically be exiled. Someone has to take his, someone has to take his place, and so that person is James, the brother of Jesus, and he becomes the bishop of Jerusalem. Now, what's the importance of this? Well, it's important because Jesus, after his, his, after his death and his resurrection, he comes and he shows himself to people. One of these persons was James, his brother. And from this, we can safely assume that James had faith in Christ. And he took up the task of doing what God wanted him to do in proclaiming that message. And he does a great job of it. Uh, he takes the lead at the Jerusalem Council in Acts. And when it comes to this great question of whether or not Gentiles should be brought into the faith, he sides with not just St. Paul or St. Peter or, or Barnabas. He sides with God in his word according to the prophets. And he says that we, he says that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had has had, uh, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the, 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 the synagogues. And we can learn a lot from his epistle. I want to kind of dive into that for real quick here. He, first of all, it, it does feel a little funny being a Lutheran preaching on the book of James. I mean, if you don't know 
Luther's view towards the book, he thought maybe it shouldn't even be kept in Scripture, right? Uh, for this, I, I, I hope to have a conversation with Luther when we're in heaven someday and say, I don't know, you, I think you got it wrong about James, and he'll probably say, I know, I know, we've had this discussion for a long time, he and me, you know. But it's very interesting. You look at James's epistle, and you see the example that he sets, that at one point in time, he was one who scoffed at Christ, and now he's telling the 12 tribes of the the of the dispersion, that is all of those people who are in Jerusalem and who now scatter out because of the persecution that has come, because of the death of Stephen. And because during this time, James is writing to all those who have fled and who are actually still running away from Saul, who would be known as Paul. This is probably one of, in fact, I think it is the very first letter that is written in the New Testament chronologically, because he's addressing those who have fled from Jerusalem, and he's telling them how to think, how to believe, how to live. And he says, greetings, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of, of, of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks in wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let's just stop there for a second. There's so much there. Someone might be tempted to read this and just say, well, these are just kind of disjointed moral statements. Yeah, just do this, do that, see this way, see that way. Where's Jesus, right? Where do we learn from him about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and things like that? But he says, and this is all kind of subtext, so bear with me here. Count it all joy, my brothers. That coming from the flesh and blood brother of Christ. To us, his brothers. That for us, maybe to say you're my brother is kind of pretty casual. But for James, that means everything. For James, that means that he is speaking to those who have been saved by grace through faith in Christ, who are co-heirs with Christ, who know what Jesus has done for them, right? There are certain presuppositions here from James to say, you are my brothers, you know who Christ is, now let's get down to business, right? Count it joy, my brothers, when you meet trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. This sounds like St. Paul, does it not? That the suffering produces character, character produces endurance, endurance produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. That when he gets to the point where he says that, that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. What is the point 
of him saying this, and who is he talking about? Chances are he's probably talking about himself. At one point, he doubted. At one point, he scoffed. At one point, he did not see Jesus for who he was. He lacked wisdom to see wisdom made flesh for who he was. So he asked God, and God gave him generously, without reproach. And he says, let him ask in faith, in trust, in grasping on to God's promises that he will give such things. Let him ask in faith with no doubting, not that doubt within itself is necessarily sinful, but it is a bit of a warning for us not to doubt the promises of God. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. This is an allusion probably to St. Peter. When they saw Christ walking out on the sea. And Peter says, Lord, call me out to you. And he says, come. And Peter's strong. And he's steadfast. And he keeps his eyes on Jesus, but then the waves catch his eye. And the waves cause him to take his eyes off of Jesus. And to doubt to the point where he starts to sink. So that Jesus comes and grabs him. He says, why did you doubt? You have little faith. This is not someone who is full-blown in the unbelief against Jesus. This is somebody who struggles. This is somebody who says, God, I know what you've said is true. Please show me how it can be. This is faith that seeks understanding. But it is a warning that those who do doubt, if they continue in their doubt, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. Because if you continue to doubt, you shouldn't suppose that you'll receive anything from the Lord, because you're a double-minded man and you're unstable in all your ways. You're tossed to and fro by the wind and the waves and the sea. Like St. Paul says, we know, we know St. Paul so well, we don't know James all that well, but St. Paul says that he prays that we would grow into maturity in Christ so that we would no longer be like babes tossed to and fro on the wind and waves of every doctrine that comes our way, being enticed to this one, now to that one. But for us to keep our eyes on Christ, for us to ask him for the, 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 the wisdom and the understanding that he promises. And he speaks to us, I think especially today, about something else. Because what he speaks about is not necessarily being tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine saying, you know, well, you know, um, um, who should I vote for here and, and what should I support over here? But the temptation is, that he's speaking of, is to despair of Christ, to give in to persecution, to be told. You cannot be a part of this world unless you renounce Christ. Then in that moment, Christians 
pray for God to give them the words. They pray for God to give them the wisdom to handle these things, and they trust that God will give it because he has promised to do so. St. James speaks to us today in this word because we face temptations day in and day out. And I don't believe that the world is getting better. I think the world is getting worse. And we as Christians should not be surprised or taken aback at this beyond maybe just the shock that it's happening so fast, right? The world is deteriorating. It is becoming like a worn-out garment, soon to be replaced in the, in the coming of Christ. This world is falling apart. So we as Christians should not be surprised when we are told that your views are not welcome here anymore. We shouldn't be surprised when we're told that the way you believe is bigoted. What you believe is old-fashioned. It's outdated. What you believe about family, about sexuality, about male and female, get with the times. You don't know what you're talking about. That a man can be a woman, and a woman can be a man. A man can give birth, and all such nonsense like this. There is an attack always on God's word. There is always an attack going on on who God is and what he has done. And right now, Satan is attacking the first article of the creed. Satan is attacking whether or not man is man and woman is a woman. And Satan is having a field day because we're caught unawares. And so, in this time, we lack wisdom. So we should ask God, who gives generously to all without, without reproach, and it will be given to us. He will show us within his word what is true. He will show us what is true by what Christ has said, by what, by what the law and the prophets proclaim, by what James says in the Spirit. For blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. If I can dive a little bit deeper into that. This was probably written right after Stephen was stoned and killed. We know that story well, or at least we should. Why was he killed? It wasn't because he was just walking along the street and all of a sudden someone said, Hey, you, I don't like the way you look, right? He was proclaiming Christ. He was proclaiming Christ so that those who did not know or those who doubted or those who refused to believe would repent and would come to faith. And Stephen made a great confession. And for it, he gave his life. It's very interesting because St. James says, Blessed is the man 
kind of reminds you of Psalm 1, right? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, right? Blessed is the man who, 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 who meditates day and night on God's word. It even sounds like Jesus, does it not? Blessed are you when others persecute you and revile you falsely for my name's sake, right? Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Stephen, I don't know if you know this, Stephen's name in Greek, it means crown. And that might have been poetic in God's eyes. That this man, who was steadfast in faith, who kept his eyes on Christ, even in the midst of all the temptation to despair and to flee from his faith. He kept his eyes on Christ because Christ first loved him and died for him. And so Stephen has now the crown of life. And Stephen, like St. James, who as a martyr, we know that he was stoned as well and killed. We don't know exactly how it happened, the accounts are kind of conflicting. He died sometime in either 62 or 65 AD. But one of the stories, and I, I like this story, maybe I'm a little biased towards the story, is that St. James of Jerusalem was in the temple, an openly hostile place a place where he knew that he wasn't welcome, but he knew that he had the opportunity that God might save a few. That in the temple, he was preaching Jesus as the Christ. And for his trouble, they picked him up and they threw him off of the pinnacle of the temple, off of that great wall. And he landed at the bottom but he didn't die. The tradition says that he got onto his knees and he prayed, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. At which time then they did take stones and kill him. But he died a martyr's death. And it's not that we highlight this because James is so great. We do not highlight this because James is some sort of super saint that gives us his grace, gives us his works for our good. That's something we as, that's something we, we as, as, as Lutherans have rejected for a long, long time. And rightfully so. Because if we were to see it that way, we wouldn't see it the way that James himself sees it. He wants us to keep our eyes on Christ. He wants us to count it all joy when we meet trials. He wants us to pray to God through Jesus Christ for wisdom. He wants us to be blessed, to remain steadfast under trial. He wants us to keep our eyes on Jesus because Jesus is the one who gets the crown of life. He is the one who dies. He is the one who pays for our sins. 
He is the one who covers us with his blood so that we can stand before God the Father blameless and righteous for his sake. Jesus is the one who wins the crown of life and then shares it with those who trust in him. So as we go forward today, in the midst of trials and temptations, persecutions, when everything else is stripped away from us, when our wealth, when our friends, when our house, when our home, when our family is gone because we hold on to Christ, we're not alone. All those things may be gone, but we are left with God and we are left with his word and with his promise that says that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. For Christ has died for you. He has died for James. He has died for me. He has died for all of those who trust in him. So as we go forth, we ought to count ourselves blessed so we might be steadfast through the trials that Christ has faced and now goes through with us. And the peace of God, and excuse me, and the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.